The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome, everybody, to this five-week course on the Heavenly Messengers. I'm going to introduce our two guides for this five-week course. Aya Santusika has been a, in robes for around 14 years. Um, before that, in past lives, she's been a software engineer. She's also done pastoral care. She's a mother, a grandmother, and she's taking care of her mother now, who is a very devout Buddhist. Bill's biography I had to write down because last night I didn't get everything in there. So Bill Buckalt is a graduate of Stanford Medical School. He's retired practicing oncologist, retired for the last three years. He's been a practicing oncologist for 37 years. He's been doing Vipassana meditation for 40 years. He's completed the Spirit Rock Heavenly Messengers program. He's on the Ethics and Chaplaincy Council at El Camino Hospital. He, um, he lectures around Silicon Valley to churches and various groups on the documentary which we played here, Frontline Documentary Being Mortal, and also talking about advanced directives. And he's on some state committee for um, the new right to die law, is that correct? No. Oh, okay. uh, I'll explain. Uh, okay. There is a, a new law in California. Uh, it's called the uh, End of Life Options Act. And so uh, this is something that I lecture about, but I'm not on any official committee. It's, it's all volunteer work. And so you didn't say anything about my three grandchildren. Oh. <laughs> well, like I said, I'll say this last night. The reason I want to say about the children, the grandchildren, just because Aya has robes doesn't mean she can't relate to all of us and the problems we go through. Um, assisting Aya and Dr. Buckles is Sister Chitananda, who's been a, in robes for around three years already. And before that, spending a lot of time as a biogary. In a previous life, she's been a nurse. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Stephen Gassner. I've been associated with IMC since 1995. I was the founding president and second treasurer, and I'm still on their finance committee. Um, and also about Bill, I forgot to mention that gorgeous bell that IMC has many, many, many years ago, and I remember when Bill brought it, Bill donated that to IMC. So with that, Aya and Bill. There's only one more thing we could add, I think, to the intros of your guides. We are planning during this course to have a shrine that we'll all contribute to week, uh, week after week, and that will probably show up right in front of the Buddha there next week, and we'll hear more about that later. But just keeping that concept of the sacred with us throughout this exploration. I'd like to make sure that people are... Uh seated in places that it's easy to hear and easy to see. There's uh, an angle that people are sitting over there and these seats on the dais um, are also open if it's easier for people to see. Yeah, if, yes. you, if you can't see the screen, it'd be good to move. There are some spots over there. Um, I think it's okay. A couple of housekeeping information. There are restrooms 
in the back. Uh, we are recording this, so they will be available to have at least the audio of this. Uh, we have a website on which we will be posting all of our slides. Uh, there will be uh, other material on that, uh, including uh, homework that we strongly urge uh, that people um, read, as well as other uh, references uh, to make it easy for people to get additional information. Well, that's the primary question. Why are we all here? And that's not totally existential. Um, why are we here uh, doing this program? Uh, I spent two years in the Spirit Rock program on the Heavenly Messengers. And I originally didn't think that I needed I uh, They're talking about uh, aging, which I have some personal experience with, uh, illness, which I likewise have some experience with, and death, which uh, I cannot remember the last time, but I certainly remember vividly the patients whom I've cared for. I almost didn't sign up for the course, and yet I did. And what I found is that this heavenly messenger process is one of the most profoundly deepening experiences I've had into the Dharma. The topics we will talk about include the uh, passing your reality test. Uh, we're born, uh, subject to having already died, you get older. Um, many people will experience illness and all of us will die. So that's kind of like the reality test. But the fourth messenger is the one that I encountered most vividly. And we will be talking about that messenger uh, subsequently. But uh, we are here in deep service to you as participant guides in this process that we share. I am profoundly impressed by the courage it requires to engage in this inquiry. My purpose is to make you uncomfortable. If I am successful, I don't know that you won't like me, but you will be uncomfortable because I intend to ask questions and point out things that, shall we say, are stimulating. And stimulating inquiry into areas that often we don't uh, pursue. Aya? And like, like Dr. Bill, I find this material to be the most powerful motivation for the practice and the path. And it's really the ground from which the path arises. So this is our greatest opportunity looking squarely at aging sickness and death and awakening how do we use these life experiences as the the real motivation opportunity opening the juice 
for waking up. So we're going to look at practices, and we'll talk more about that in, in detail, about what the practices are that help us to prepare. So in addition to becoming uncomfortable, because we're not going to be enlightened by staying in our comfort zone, we have to change. And it's change for the better. It's change that opens up our lives and opens up our hearts and helps us to see in a different way. And that direct connection with aging, with sickness, with death, is what helps to open that way. That's how the Buddha started on his quest. And and we'll talk about that story a little bit if you don't know it already. And it's how we can all um, further our own quest to, to complete peace and freedom from suffering. So that's why I'm here. I, I also feel, as, as Dr. Bill does, that I'm in complete service to you in this process. We're in this together. And every time we go through this, we get a little bit more clear about the reality that we're dealing with and a little more peaceful and happy and unafraid. So and that's why it's important. This is a quiz. Um, the questions to be asked don't necessarily have answers. With important questions, there are stories. These are stories that may be productively uh, told uh, to teach us or destructively told to do distract us. Um, This is important what we're doing here. This is honest work. And we are all in it together. And Steve, you're going to ask us some questions, right, to bring that point home of how we share these experiences. This is an exercise you most probably did before. I'm going to read some questions, and if it's true for you, stand up. So stand up if sometime in your life a friend has died. This is a lot different population than last night. Stand up if you lost one or both of your parents in this life. No, you need the exercise. (laughs) Stand up if you lost a sibling. Stand up if you're taking care of a parent. Or if you have taken care of a parent. Stand up if your spouse has died. Or ex-spouse. No, I just think this... (laughs) No, because the thing is, it's a different emotional experience, I imagine. Stand up if if your spouse has died. Stand up if one of your children has died. 
Stand up if you're presently grieving the loss of someone. Stand up if you had a friend or you have a friend or relative who has or had a major illness. Two more. Stand up if you had a major illness in your life. And the last question is, stand up if you think or know that you're going to die someday. <laughs> I once saw a, a, a frontline documentary where they were wheeling a person to hospice and he goes, well, I'll see you tomorrow. So, you know, he most probably, he most probably wouldn't have stood up. So, What's the problem here? How come nobody wants to talk about this? Have you ever tried to have a conversation with somebody about, um, I'm going to die? Or, worse yet, you're going to die? And what are you doing to prepare for that? Uh, actually, the original meaning of the word taboo, which is a uh, Polynesian uh, language word means that which is reserved for the uh, priest. It isn't that it's forbidden, it's that it is holy. And if we look at this subject of aging, illness, and death as sacred, then when we talk about it, it can be something that is inspiring rather than depressing. But there are many, many barriers to having conversations. Uh, on the homework uh, website, uh, we'll have the website for the Coalition for Compassionate Care in California.org. And that, but do we have that on the handout? Yeah. I think we do. So they have a... So you'll, uh, get that, you'll get that link later. They have a, an excellent section on how to get conversations going. But it is not a simple matter. And it's not a simple matter to get the conversation going within yourself. You can go often this deep or sometimes this deep, but somehow there is still somewhere in that path where the shadows remain and it is unexplored. So um, we wish to walk with you there. And uh, if your hand needs to be held, we are here to do that. But more likely, if you need to be reminded that you have the ability to go there without trembling, without disabling fear, then perhaps you will discover something that's important about yourselves. 
And so we're, we're doing this in part to face the fears, face the discomfort, be present with what arises, and over the, through the practice and through sharing this, the fear becomes less. When we have more clarity about why, we're, why we want to live and at what point would we not want to live, if we have more clarity about what kind of care we would want and what kind of practices we can do in order to develop the heart in a way that the fear decreases, in a way that we have confidence, and peace. So we want to we want to help everyone here to be better prepared. By the end of this course, our hope is that you'll know what you need to do, and you will have had the chance to do some of it. And we encourage you to dig, to really dive into this, put as much into it as you can, and you'll gain accordingly. Last night, uh, and will you give this um, each? Tuesday evening and each Wednesday afternoon, we give the same program for those people who either can come in the daytime or come at night. And last night, when I challenged people about their fear, I asked anyone who has any fear about aging, sickness, or dying to stand up. Is there anyone in the room who has any fear about that? I didn't stand up then, and I was called on that. Please sit down. Um, and what emerged from this was a remarkable insight that fear is both a light on the dashboard that says, pay attention, and fear is also a tool a tool of investigation and a tool that can be used as you go deeper uh, into uh, areas that you're reluctant to go. We cannot be whole people. We cannot have a a full life um, without exploring all of our edges. Personal growth only occurs like plants in the root system at the edges. And that is where we are vulnerable. Do people know how to tell if you're vulnerable? It's easy. It sucks. It's unpleasant. But it is the very moment that you can say, this is an opportunity to go further and expand my life. and live more fully. So, welcome to the uh, Shadowlands. Oh, that last bullet point was making this easier for ourselves and our loved ones. And when we make things clear about how we would like to be cared for and what we'd like to have happen, or we help others in our family make that clear for themselves, it's so much easier on everyone. They have a great program in Minnesota. 
uh, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, yeah. where everyone has advanced directives. Uh, in one city, La Crosse, it's uh, called oh, Respecting Choices. And they've found that it's incredibly valuable. There's just so much more, so many more um, success stories around people getting the care that they actually want. And it's actually uh, saves resources tremendously because people actually don't want all of um, what could be done oftentimes um, if it's not a, a, a valuable return, you might say, to the way that they want to live. So it's, it's valuable, and when we do that, it does make it easier. Our family doesn't have to make decisions in the dark. They can make them based on what we've already expressed we want. I want to just briefly share about the story that provides the backdrop for our inquiry, which is the story of the heavenly messengers. How many people are not familiar with this story? Okay. So the way the story goes, and this is in the Pali Canon, but in the Canon it's um, attributed to a Buddha that came before our current Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama. But then in other places it says, uh, in the commentary, it says that all the Buddhas had this experience. So Siddhartha Gautama is, um, is said to have had this experience of being raised as a prince in a very um, protected environment. And then he really didn't have contact much with aging, sickness, or death. But he decided to travel out of the palace and with the uh, charioteer saw an old person bent over. In the Pali scriptures, it always talks about being bent like a roof bracket. You got the picture. With broken teeth and thinning gray hair and wizened. And the Buddha, the future Buddha, said to the charioteer, what's wrong with that man? And his driver said, well, he's old, very old. And Siddhartha said, could that happen to me? And his driver said, yes. If you live long enough, that will happen to you. And at another time, he saw a sick person, someone very ill, and the same line of questioning, what's wrong? That person's ill. Could that happen to me? Yes, indeed. We're all subject to falling ill, and it could happen at any time. You don't have to be elderly for that to happen. It can happen at any time. And then he saw on another excursion someone, a dead body. It's like, what's wrong with that person? That person's dead. That body lies there lifeless like a log. Will that happen to me? Yes, that will most certainly happen to you. So he was connecting with, seeing, facing this suffering, realizing this suffering. And the fourth person that he saw was a monk, a wandering ascetic, entirely focused on the path, living the path, and his countenance was radiant. And he said, what's that? <laughs> and he realized that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to find a way out 
of this suffering that's inevitable for all of us. So did he say, I want that to happen to me? I don't know exactly. And it's a story. And I don't really buy that he didn't have any connection with aging, sickness, or death before that. That seems a little unrealistic. He was being trained to take over the country. He probably knew a lot about suffering already, watching how that works. My sense is he was like most of us. In our early years in life, we don't really take it in, usually. At some point, we realize that we're mortal. And I, I told a story last night of my son. When my son was 15, he was on his bicycle and he was hit by a drunk driver, hit and run. And he landed in Stanford Hospital with a concussion and a broken leg. And it was right there that he realized how fast things can go wrong and that he was mortal. And you might know for yourself when that dawned on you. And so it's, it's like... I find for myself, little by little, I have to keep facing these realities in order for it to sink in. Because we have this incredible, amazing ability to shove it off. Like that man who is going away to hospice saying, I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> we, we really um, have to be committed to looking. And when Siddhartha Gautama looked, he saw that there wasn't anything in all of that wealth and power and the, and the beautiful wife that he loved and all of that that was actually going to lead to freedom, to lasting happiness. And he wanted to find that. And he did. So what we'll be exploring is the faith that that is possible for each of us. And how this process of looking at aging, sickness, and death and awakening can bring us to that, that freedom from suffering, that complete peace that the Buddha said is the highest happiness. Well, how about some practical details, how we do this? Um, Anybody here uh, been a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout? The motto is, be prepared. So how do we prepare for this? Well, uh, some of the most simple things is uh, health insurance, which I pray to all that is holy that we maintain. Um, but the other preparation is much more interior and it has to do with understanding what makes our lives worth living and not waiting to live that because what we're talking about uh, and we're talking about advanced care planning is life planning it is what you're going to do today I'll bet a nickel my highest bet that if you wrote down minute by minute what you do each day and if you wrote down a list of your priorities, what's the most important things to you, there would be no overlap. How do we prepare to live so that we have no regrets? 
you can go to bed and say, good day. Not everything went that I wanted, but I don't have any regrets about this. Um, getting the care you want. Uh, one of the things that happens as we get older, and this is very distressing to many people like myself who are uh, control freaks, is we don't have much. And we become dependent upon other people. So becoming familiar with and comfortable with interdependence. How many people here make their own shoes? So you're dependent upon somebody else to make your shoes and you're probably dependent upon somebody else to um, grow the wheat. You're not henny penny, you're not going to grow your own wheat. Um, so we live in a world of interdependence. But how to become comfortable with trusting and counting on kindness. There's a book by uh, Wendy Von Lusbutter, who's a geriatric uh, social worker in uh, Seattle. And she wrote a book called Counting on Kindness, describing her experiences of interviewing both the caregivers and the people in nursing homes. And so, how would you pay for someone being kind to you? Spoiler alert. Anybody? Be kind to them. And so, living kindly on the earth living generously. Uh, what goes around comes around. And that is a simple policy for preparing yourself. Um, those are not specifics, but I will be happy to get into more specifics, particularly about uh, creating uh, advanced care planning and uh, how to um, look at preparing an advanced directive. People know what an advanced directive is? It's a legal document. Uh, it's different from a post. Uh, and uh, it allows you to um, have a legally appointed surrogate who will speak for you if you can't. But the preparation for it is the real good part, is that you tell them what you want. So they're not making decisions for you. They're simply respecting that they made an agreement with you to do what you want. But unless you know, you can't speak for that. So there's the practical preparation and there's the spiritual preparation. And we always have to start with being with the way we feel right now, whatever point that is, being present with what we're experiencing. It's really the first noble truth. There's suffering here. Being with that suffering, or if there's no suffering there, being with that and, and acknowledging it, knowing it, there isn't any fear, or there isn't any grief, or there isn't any sadness, whatever it is. But to be present with 
the way things are at the moment and then using these changes that we're talking about as ways to expand the heart, as ways to develop on the path. With the ongoing experience of opening up to living with greater ease and freedom. So I have a list of practices that we'll be engaged in. And as I said before, you'll be able to access these slides online. So you'll have this list before you, and we will talk about these things and use them as we go through the five weeks. Practicing forgiveness for ourselves and others, so that whenever it happens that we are facing this kind of change in our life, we've already forgiven. We don't have anything we have to handle at the last minute. To live in a way that we can walk down the street and run into absolutely anyone without any problem. To live in a way that we've worked through what we need to work through internally and we don't have anything more that we have to say that's unsaid. So then there's, there's no regrets. And living in a way that we don't create the kinds of problems that bring regrets day by day. And also with a, a self-compassion and generosity to ourselves. It's not like we're going to make the right steps all the time or do it right all the time, but to really take whatever we've done and acknowledge whatever it is and learn from it, forgive ourselves, and learn. Can I ask a question of people here? How many of you feel that you um, show compassion or kindness to the people around you who you see are, are in trouble? Is that common? And so whatever measure that is, what tiny fraction of that measure of compassion and kindness do you show to yourself? My bet is um, it's under 1%. It's certainly, uh, unless I have an active practice of self-compassion, uh, barely moves the needle. Uh, and I think it was Jack Cornfield who said, who gave a definition of, of forgiveness. Forgiveness is giving up all hope of a better past. We'll work with letting go, letting go of attachment to possessions, to people, to our views of who we are. Every stage of letting go helps us to trade up to uh, the kinds of qualities and states and experiences that are much more satisfying. Serenity meditation and insight meditation, if you have a meditation practice, you've probably been doing those things already. So we'll look at that to some degree. It's embedded in um, all the different meditation techniques in Buddhism. That second to the last bullet of keeping a journal of the things that you've done that are kind and generous, this comes out of Sri Lanka. It's a, it's a common practice for people to write down the things that they do that are good. And at the end of their life, someone reads that out over their bed. 
so that your mind is in that state of connecting with that openness of heart that you've had. So I recommend that you get your journal this week and start logging what you're doing that's good. And you can log not just the things you did that were obviously kind and generous, but even the things that you didn't do that wouldn't be kind. Or even the ways you've kept the five precepts, if you know it. Today I did not intentionally kill any living beings. Today I did not take anything that wasn't given. These are also positive actions, even though it may seem just like restraint. Restraint is incredibly important. So sometimes we can have, as with the the lesser amount of self-compassion than compassion we give to others, we can also have kind of a mental block about our own kindness and generosity, not acknowledging it, or maybe not even be able to. You look at that blank page in the notebook, you may not be able to put anything down on it at first and notice that. And yet you're probably kind every day. Count smiles. Count. Um, every time you smile at somebody, literally, that is an act of kindness and generosity. I don't know how many of you know who Ajahn Pasano is. He's the abbot at Abayagiri. One time he said, in every moment, any moment, we have the opportunity to be kind. There's always an opportunity to be kind, even with a, a positive thought for someone. And the development of faith. And this is the faith in the truth of awakening, that there is a way out of suffering. That, the Buddha said, is the first step out of the cycle of samsara, the wheel of dependent origination. The first step out is faith, that there is nibbana. And from that faith, when we see that glimpse, there's joy. And then from there, there follows a whole chain, a chain of trans, a transcendent chain of dependent origination, where we put in the causes and conditions for joy, for rapture, for happiness, for seeing the way things actually are. And we'll talk about that particularly on the last week. But we'll use these practices throughout. I, one of the things that has sometimes troubled me is that in almost all of the Dharma talks uh, and sutras that I've uh, read, it speaks about a kind of an absolute enlightenment of complete uh, end of suffering. And uh, on a personal level, uh, I don't think I want to make it this time around. Uh, no problem, Bill. So, <laughs> um, You've I've, got I've, time. I, I've got time, and I'm, st- I'm still treading water. But how can we accept on a practical level that even a step toward that is sufficient? With, whether we have a belief in reincarnation or not, is there a way that we can hold the teachings so that we get, quote, credit for um, 
approaching less suffering, not the complete abolishment of it. The great thing about the path is that it's gradual and the rewards come all along the way. And you know this from your own experience. If you get up in the morning grumpy and you're grumpy with the people you live with, you know what the results are. And if you get up in the morning happy and you're kind to the people you live with, or you get up in the morning grumpy and you're kind to the people you live with, that's the biggest bonus. (laughs) You know how it feels. You know how it feels to overcome your own negativity and be kind to someone else. You know how it feels to be generous. You know how it feels to be virtuous. All of these things are steps along the way. And at some points, there will be insight that comes that actually gives you that much richer taste of what it is, what that nibbana is about. It's not about the whole thing all at once, that that you only, you work, 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 and then you only gain something at the end. It's through this kind of reflection and awareness that we start to recognize and build that faith brick by brick through our experience. This is not a faith based on believing something someone's told you. This is a faith based on your experience, on your own inquiry, on your own development. And it's through wise attention where you put your emphasis, where you put your energy, that you begin to see, yes, this path works. To be happier today, I can tell you, I am so much happier and I have so much more peace than I did 30 years ago because of this path, because of someone pointing the way and having realized that complete peace that gives me enough confidence that it's possible, that it's there, and that I can do it. And that's what we all need. Personally, I think if you can wrap your head around rebirth, it's incredibly helpful. (laughs) Incredibly helpful. (laughs) Those people that I know who remember their past lives and remember dying before and how safe it was have a real relief. So there is that part. I'm an Orthodox Buddhist. I'm a reformed. (laughs) You'll hear a slightly different perspective from us. I'm conservative. I'm conservative. He's conservative. (laughs) Orthodox, reformed, and conservative. Orthodox. I'm I'm a Theravadan Buddhist nun, and my study is the Pali scriptures. And my um, faith that has developed over the years through that experience is, is really aligned with what's actually in those scriptures and what we are, what's reported that the Buddha experienced and his followers. I, I'm more of a kind of a guy who thinks his favorite color is plaid. Um, I'm a Boo Jew. I was raised uh, Jewish. I am baptized Methodist, and I am primarily a, a Theravadan Buddhist. Um, so I am a synthetic. He's got all the bases. And I'm, and I'm uh, uh, actually into Sufism and reading the Quran. 
So uh, I'm prepared for whoever's giving the exam. <laughs> And as Steve pointed out, there was a period of time when I, when I practiced pastoral care, and that was as an interfaith minister, so I know how to translate all those. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really good you that we... You don't need a Rosetta Stone. <laughs> it's really good that we do have access to all these different ways of looking at the reality that we're all working with, regardless of our belief system. We're human beings, and there is a way that nature works, and we have different ways of describing that and yet every major religion comes down to many of the same concepts virtue generosity spiritual practice some kind of form of meditation some form of going within to discover the deep river of truth so that's what we're about here in this practice. And now we're going to practice a little bit. So find a comfortable position. This will be about a 10-minute meditation. Actually, a little bit less. Uh, we're running just a little bit behind. I think. Is that true? No, maybe not. Okay. So find your inner balance and see if you can relax into your posture. Bringing attention to your breathing. Take a few deeper breaths and longer exhalations and really let go of whatever tension you may be feeling. Take a moment to scan through your body, starting at the top of your head. Noticing any tightness or strain around the eyes. And just inviting that to let go. Any tightness in the jaw. Inviting that to relax. Noticing your shoulders, letting them relax. Even though you're maintaining an upright, balanced position, letting any stress or strain in your, in your torso or your abdomen relax. Relaxing your legs and feet. Noticing any places where there's discomfort or pain. Bringing a sense of kindness and compassion to that area. Accepting what you find there. Kind attention can sometimes be all that we need.
and turn our attention to our heart. Not just the physical heart, but the state of the mind. Really allowing yourself to be present with whatever's arising during this session together. Allowing that through this kind of inquiry, many, many feelings are likely to arise. Many thoughts. And to be able to be witness to those from a stance of wisdom and compassion. That it's okay. Mentally putting your arm around your own shoulders. Giving comfort to your own heart. This is not easy. But we've already done many things that are not easy. And we can do this one. letting the heart expand with a sense of kindness and compassion. Having that compassion for ourselves and for others going through this same process of life with its natural twists and turns. Coming back again and again to encourage ourselves and our own hearts. Sometimes during this process, regrets may arise, or guilt. And to recognize, bring to mind that every one of us has done unskillful things. We've hurt others, we've hurt ourselves. But at the same time, we've also been kind, we have also held the intention to be skillful and kind even in the midst of our most unskillful times. 
we can forgive ourselves, have compassion for those things that have not been the wisest choices. There were reasons why. And there's a path of learning and spiritual recovery no matter what has happened in the past. And in this moment, we have that choice always. In the present moment, we have the choice to change direction or to remind ourselves that I don't do that anymore. Buddha said that the mind is luminous and the defilements are adventitious. They arise and enter almost by accident from outside. But the natural state of the mind is luminous and clear. Our reflections, our practice Help us to simplify, simplify, and let those defilements fall away until we have that luminosity and clarity. way it is right now. With whatever arises, managing to bring up the patience to be with that, bringing a sense of kindness to it of compassion to it. Patient endurance. Love.
always re-anchor yourself in the body. Re-anchor yourself with the breath. And expand the heart. Each week, we will take about 25 minutes to break into small groups and give you a chance to share with one another about what you're experiencing, what you're learning, and we'll give you some um, suggestions on what you might want to talk about. But primarily today, as we dive into this material, 
probably mostly about where you are with it right now. And for these meetings together, we're just going to count off and you'll be in a group of people you may know or may not know. But we, were, we are hoping that that group stays consistent over the five weeks so that you can really gain some connection and trust with each other and help each other through this process. Um, to hear from you of things that have come up, questions you might have at this point, or things you might want to share from your own reflection or from what came up for you in the small group. Yes. Yes, and you do have a microphone available for anyone. I, I wanted... I walked around and uh, eavesdropped on the groups. And I am so in awe of the depth of vulnerability and the courage that people have to speak of such tender, tender things. It is our honor it is our privilege to share these experiences with you and we are so grateful to be able to do this. Uh, there was a mixture of very practical kinds of concerns, particularly about the medical system and uh, I've written quite a few things and I will make them available to you. Promise. Yes, we very much honor the courage that it takes to come together to do this and it's inspiring thank you so what would you like to say please say it, your name if you want to and sure I'm Michelle and I like my group <laughs> Isn't it great to have a group? <laughs> I'm Carl. Um, in this group, uh, there was a division, it seemed. Uh, between those who had little or no anxiety or fear regarding death especially and um, those who had a great deal and <clears throat> I didn't uh, I didn't notice a middle ground um, there was among the, the, um, the I'll call it the, the anxious group uh, a fear of being burdensome in some way. Um, I think that's a very significant concern. Uh, it is in the friends of mine who died last year and in others who are ill. It's a predominant concern, especially with um, those who have family as to not being a burden on others. And uh, 
significant fear uh, that has um, has to do with all phases, aging, sickness, and death. That's a fear regarding everything, all those three things. So that was what I found in this group. I'd like to share a little on that um, from taking care of my mother. When she came to a point where she needed my help for some very basic things, she would repeatedly say that she was sorry I had to do this. Don't you get tired of doing this? Um, I don't want to be a burden. And I said, but mom, you did all these things for me. When I, had, when I was completely helpless, you took care of me. Now it's my turn. And even with a certain level of dementia, she remembered that. And she's been able to repeat it again and again until there haven't been any comments like that for a long time. So I think one thing we might do is, as caregivers, remember that someone took care of us. And as caregivers, even though there are many challenges, and burnout being one of the biggest ones, it's a practice that really develops the heart. There's an opportunity to give back. And as recipients, to try to cultivate the the awareness that there's a tremendous gift in being able to care for someone. So it's it. This isn't to say that takes away all the fear of being a burden, but to just reorient the heart to the degree that we can around what is a burden, and how do we, how can we understand this as an opportunity. Um, for those who are caring for us. There were other fears expressed that I overheard. Um, I know um, one of the fears I have um, is just uh, suffering a lot of physical pain at the end. And I know of one person who has been a Buddhist practitioner, had been a Buddhist practitioner for at least 30 or 40 years, who suffered great pain at the end of her life, even though she was um, being cared for through hospice and receiving some pain meds. So I, you know, that's real for me. Other, other people? Uh, I'm Karen, and um, I just wanted to say that it was uh, a good and interesting experience being able to talk openly about death because it's just not something that we do very much in our society, and to be able to have a dialogue about it and just beginning is um, it's a relief. Sorry. 
this just occurred to me, but um, I will not have that opportunity to be with any of my family members. They're all gone. I mean, it doesn't mean I, I might not have the opportunity with another person, but I, I didn't get that opportunity with them. You mean to care for them? That, to care for them, so. So you might get the other side of it to be cared for. Yeah. And that's also an opportunity to be kind, as we've touched on a little bit already. The, the attitude we have as the one being cared for can make all the difference. It's so much easier to care for someone who is kind to us. And this is a deep practice to be able to hold our discomfort and our fears and work with them and, and not spread that out onto others around us. So you might get that side of the practice. I might. And it's helpful again and again to remind ourselves to come to this whole experience as an adventure. We get to experience So is a root canal. <laughs> we get to experience the root canal. That might sound a little too positive for you, but I'll tell you, the practitioners I've seen who decide this is how I want to greet life, it's a, it's a fundamental difference in the way they experience what's happening. And the, one, of the first, one of the experiences I had around this was when um, the, the woman with the property next door to a Bayagiri Buddhist monastery, um, when she was um, stricken with cancer, and it happened really s- suddenly, she discovered that she was going to die soon. She was even acting in a local play and couldn't finish the run. And they did a kind of emergency surgery and found her full of cancer. And Ajahn Pasano went to see her in the hospital, and she said, I know I'm going to die soon, and I know I might not even be able to go back home, but I am so happy. I am so, I'm so grateful. And she was grateful for the practice and for Buddhism to come into her life and and when he talked about that and he, he talked about how none of us really knows if any of our plans are going to happen we think we know what we're going to do tomorrow but we don't and, and when he told this story I thought that's what I want when that happens to me that's what I want and that's possible we train our minds we open our hearts I've been in practice for, uh, I graduated from medical school in 1971, so you can do the math. And um, there is fear. Uh, One of the things that I study also is Sufi, Sufism. And one of the um, most respected Sufi teachers was discussing the difference between fate destiny and free will fate he said were the things that happened destiny however is how we employ our free will to respond to them the universal practical fears people have of getting just totally screwed by the medical system of being humiliated by not being able to maintain the persona that we have all our lives. 
the fear of being alone. These are absolutely real. These are things that people fear. And the question comes up, how can we learn? How can we dare even to explore these as places where we can discover something? In my experience, that there are two kinds of fears of um, end of life. Some people fear death. Other people fear dying. And they're quite different. I will, to the best of my ability, at least give you insider trading information on the medical system and how to navigate this and how you can, some of the time, find solutions that don't take away the fear, but mitigate the danger. By the by, fear only happens in the future. You can be afraid that there's a tiger outside the door and live your life fearing that going outside. The danger is not there. There are some real dangers that you need practical, dirt practical, this is ways it can be done, information. And I will do the best I can to get that right. But what I respect so much is the fact that you can be openly thinking about the scary stuff. And making plans and making and taking on practices that actually help you do the things that make it less scary and make it less dangerous. I feel that everybody in this room is way ahead because we have a practice. We have a practice of meditation. And we have a practice of being in the moment. And in the moment you know, we're still breathing. In the moment, we are fearless. There is no yes. fear in the present. Right. And there's no hope either. Hope only occurs in the future. So, the miracle of being both fearless and hopeless is this equipoise, is this balance that requires us to be absolutely present in which we are empowered by the skills that we develop to change things. You're shaking your head like this. I'd like you to shake your head like this. Hope is thinking about something in the future that you want. Fear is thinking about something in the future that you don't want. But you might be thinking that the, fear, the feeling of fear is now. And the feeling of hope is now. And being with feeling, and one of the things that the Buddha said was a miracle of being a Tathagata is to know that a thought is just a thought and a feeling is just a feeling. And his approach to feeling fear as a bodhisattva before he was enlightened was to stay in the position he was in until the fear passed. So if he was sitting, he stayed sitting. If he walked, he kept walking. And 
that's really a tribute to understanding that this is impermanent, this feeling of fear. To look at the, the reasons underneath and what we can do about it is what helps us to, to come to peace. So does that, does that help? I know that there are different ways of looking at these things. Or where are you, where are you with that? Can I have a question? Okay. Yeah, right behind you. Um, I, I don't want to really speak for the whole group, but I got the impression that in our group, the fear was more around um, losing our independence, uh, not being able to do what we used to be able to do when we had younger bodies. Um, just you know, watching our bodies, you know, just go, Yeah. whatever's happening. So we didn't really talk that much about the fear of death, except that, you know, I mean, it was the unknown, and some of us had fear of the unknown. But I think it was more, I, I hope I'm saying this correctly, it was more around, around losing our ability to take care of ourselves, to be independent, to live our lives, do what we want, go yeah. where we want. Just the, the debilitation, and sometimes it's gradual, sometimes it's not. Yeah. And the surprise of, how can I be this old? You know, what happened? How can I be this age? And, it, and that's, you're kind of like in a state of shock for a while until you say, well, okay. There's a lot less shock if we take on as a practice looking at the impermanence of everything within us and around us on a regular basis. I mean, in the monastery, it's certainly like every talk is about aging, sickness, and death. Ajahn Buddhadasa would start every talk with friends in aging, sickness, and death. Ajahn Chah talking about, you know, does this work? Well, you sure can see the impermanence of this cup. <laughs> But the porcelain, the glass, the granite, whatever it is, right? Those ongoing practices. Then when it starts to happen, there still might be a shock. And, and fear arises. And some of it's physical. It's just kind of natural it's, reaction. And to have some compassion for ourselves around that. The body reacts. I don't want this. Well, and then to be in the midst of a body that is in pain or doesn't work or... You yeah. never know what it's going to be like from day to day. It's like... It's okay. a hell of a challenge, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Every single day. And so yeah. it's... And us mere mortals and all that go is through the it. truth. Yeah. And the radicalness of Buddhism is that it goes past all of the conveniences, the convenient stories that we tell ourselves about the way things are. It is the most no-bullshit policy uh, way of living in the world that I've ever, ever seen. And from my own personal experience, because I'm a grown-up. Do you know the definition of a grown-up is? When you get up in the morning, you start to groan. <laughs> and, I, and I've been there for a while. And I don't know um, whether I'll be in pain all day or not. And I don't know whether I will be able to do the things that bring me joy. So, 
I don't know. And that's the way it is. I, I would rather um, not fight gravity. It's a, it's a, a fool's errand. So if there's another way, as you're here in a Buddhist environment, there has to be something that drew you here in the first place. So this is um, showtime. Are you going to live what you've been taught? Because if you do it that way, it gets a whole lot easier. I don't want to say that Buddhism is a can of WD-40 that makes everything move easier. I'd do that in my joints if I had it. Um, but it's better than anything else I know. I mean, you can practical stuff. I'll do the best I can to tell you the practical stuff that can um, not like my juicery slice through delusion, but at least get you cut into the medical system. Well, the thing you can do for your body. And you're only 86. And I'm only And you look like you're 70. What? And you look like you're 70, but it doesn't matter. And your hair is well done, too. No, but really, I mean, between yoga and meditation, I would be a basket case. Yes, yes. Because I would say, oh, my knee hurts, I can't do this. Oh, I can't. I thought I had to give up hiking. I'm not giving up. If but you remember for a while my, I did because it hurt, but I figured it out because when you, I started yoga in my forties, and I learned my body talks to me; it tells me what to do with my knees, and if everybody would open themselves to that magic, it's it's it is it isn't magic; it's 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 information. Your body gives you information. Pain is information. What do you do with it? Do you go like this, you get tighter? Or do you stretch? Yeah. And there will come a time when nothing can be done. That's true. And so at that point, there is also the practice. And and hopefully the realizations. And we can't ignore the other places, the other languages that we can... um, attend to the language of the heart the language of love the language of uh, relating to other people and the possibility of these kinds of relationships really um, being transcendent and whether the relationship is an I-thou with another human being or in any other way of relatingness particularly relating this to yourself. The Buddha was a really smart guy, and he worked hard. Um, he didn't write all the sutras himself, but fortunately he had some people who paid attention. So now it's time for us to look at the work we're going to do this week. I'm sorry, we so went over. We have um, sheets that you already have in front of you on the homework that we are want to encourage you to do this week. Oh, does everybody have a homework sheet? Do we have, everyone have one? No? Are there any extras back there? 
Yes, they are on the website. But if you, if you need more, I can make yeah. more at the end of the class. Okay, the, the, website is our, the website for our monastery, which is www.karunabv, karuna meaning compassion, b as in Buddhist, v as in vihara. All small, small letters? Yeah, all lowercase. Org. And there you will find a menu item for teachings and um, the Receiving the Heavenly Messengers program. And if you follow that path, you'll find the resources there, including links to other resources. Karuna, K-A-R... Oh, it's up there. No, it's not up there. Oops. It's on the bottom of the sheet. And if you need and if you need a sheet, Steve can make you a copy before you leave. Um, be sure you have it. And, it. and all of this is on the website, including we're going to post the slides on the website. So we would like you to do some investigation work and observing. So next week we're going to talk about aging, observing people who are old, observing the elderly, uh, kind of bringing up a distinction about who's old, who's an elder, um, who, you, who do you identify with, who will you be when you're old, how are you now if you feel like you're old, those kinds of questions. We want to encourage you to reflect on some things and write if that's uh, something that appeals to you about your fears about aging or what you're looking forward to or cherishing about aging or cherish. We have this chant that some of you may know that we would like you to chant every day, a little practice. And uh, Sister Chitananda and I will give you the demo just before you leave as a way of closing. And you can join in if you want to. We're suggesting a meditation where you bring up images of yourself in all stages of aging, starting from birth, recalling what you were like as a child, and going on up and imagining what you might be like five years from now, or 10 years from now, or 20 years from now. How old you imagine you might be when you pass away. And then we have some readings. The only required reading this week is this little booklet. And we don't have copies of this for you, but we have the PDF online, so you can download it. I'm sorry? It's called Preparing for Death and Helping the Dying. It's written by a Tibetan Buddhist monk. And it's, it's good for all of the topics we're going to cover. It's got tremendously wonderful practical information. Um, all of the practices that we had listed before are really found somewhere in here. And, and so read this one, and it'll carry us through the course. Yeah, the PDF if it's something like death, underbar, dying PDF. So you'll see, see that there. And then um, suggested you might want to read Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi's. Yeah, there it is. There's one. <clears throat> That's what it looks like when you, when you print it for yourself. Like 30 pages, two-sided. Or you can just read it on your Kindle or something, you know, let's see. It's on the website. It's on that page, um, Heavenly Messengers Week 1, you'll see. And 
you might want to read Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi's um, discussion on the heavenly messengers story. And then for next week, please bring images or objects that um, speak to you about aging for our shrine. So we'll, have, we'll put a shrine. You'll be able to take everything back home again. We're going to do, do photos of the shrine. So we'll all be able to share in that. And just a way of bringing the sacred. What do you want to put on that shrine? Is that an image of some elder in your life? Is that some object that speaks to you about aging? So bring those along and you'll be able to take them home at, at the end. So that's um, it's our final words. Oh, yes, we have. You want to? So we have. I'll hold them up. Yeah. You can talk about them. You may have seen this book already. Yeah, there's a gift from Meta Forest Monastery. Take one. There's the book Beyond Coping, which is um, it's from the Pali Canon. There's um, parts of the Pali Canon where the Buddha talks about sickness, old age, and death. And then the CD was made for actually for people who are in the hospital. And what it has on there, it has chants, the chant, you suppose, the chant there, it's on there in Pali and English. So they have chanting, they have suttas where Ajahn Jeff reads, um, there's talks by Ajahn Jeff, and there's also a bunch of guided meditations on there, a breath meditation. So I've heard it a number of times, it's really good. So we have uh, all of those back there for you to take with you today. And there's one other requirement, and this is an absolute requirement for everyone in this room. For the rest of the week, be kind to yourself. You deserve it. You have earned it. It is your birthright. It is your lesson. It is the reward for your lesson. It is a skill that we, each of us, need to develop further and I definitely speak for myself being kind to myself does not come automatically to me that is not my default option and I'm struggling to make it such so please join me in this endeavor So we will chant the five subjects for frequent recollection and then we'll chant a little blessing for you as we depart. <clears throat> and please join in if you'd like to. Yes, it's that part in the middle of your homework. I am of the nature to age. I have not gone beyond aging. I am of the nature to sicken. I have not gone beyond sickness. I am of the nature to die. I have not gone beyond dying. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. I am the owner of my kama, heir to my kama, born of my kama, related to my kama, abide supported by my kama, 
Whatever come I shall do, for good or for ill, of that I will be the heir. Thus we should frequently recollect. So every day, knowing that kama is the same as karma, and kama is action, that whatever action we do sends a reverberation into the, into the universe, comes back to us. May you have every good blessing. May all the devas protect you by the power of all the Buddhas. May you ever be well. May you have every good blessing. May all the devas protect you by the power of all the Dhamma. May you ever be well. May you have every good blessing. May all the devas protect you by the power of all the Sangha. May you ever be well. We'll see you next week.